Good morning, once again. Good to have you with us. How It Changes Everything is our current teaching series. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 12. Mountain Moving Prayer is the title of this weekend's message. It's really been the thesis statement that we've been working uh, with throughout this series. You cannot encounter the resurrected Lord and Savior and remain the same. It's the story of the early church, but it's also our story that when you encounter Jesus Christ, uh, you are no longer suited for a normal life. He so revolutionizes your life. He so changes your life. And one of the things that will characterize your life will be prayer. Prayer will not be a duty, but it will be a a phenomenal delight. Your conversation, your communication, your communion with the eternal God of the galaxies. That's an amazing thought that we have interaction with him, that, that through the cross of Jesus Christ, we have access to the throne room of God. And part of that prayer, there's, a, there's different aspects of prayer, but one of those aspects is intercession. Intercession. And that's what uh, Mountain Moving Prayer is all about. It's really about interceding. And it's praying for, for God to do something in our behalf or in the, on behalf of someone else's life. And that's what we're talking about today, mountain-moving prayer, this intercessory prayer, which is one aspect of the bigger topic of prayer. If you ever thought that the book of Acts Christians, that is the first century Christians, were somehow superhero kind of saints that you and I could never aspire to, or if you ever had the idea that God would only work miracles if you could just muster enough faith without the slightest bit of doubt then God would would work miracles in your life if you just had enough faith. Well, the story that we're going to look at today, this text, will dispel those fallacies. In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said that mustard seed faith can move mountains. How many know what I'm talking about when I say mustard seed? Have you ever seen a mustard seed? If I was holding a mustard seed up here in my hand, you wouldn't be able to see it. Unlike that big scorpion that was up here with me in the first service last weekend. Anybody know that? Anybody in the first service? How many saw the scorpion in the first service attack me (laughs) while I was preaching? But I fought it off. Back to the mustard seed. You wouldn't be able to see a mustard seed. And he's saying that small faith, this this is the idea... Is that and, and this text that we're studying here today is, is, is really what this is all about. This mustard seed faith that a little faith in, a, in our big God, he's, he's great, he's good. Little faith in a big God and big things happen that otherwise wouldn't happen. Do you believe that? I do. I'm convinced of it. And that's where we're headed with our study. How many would say that you have a a mountain or two that needs to be moved or maybe even scaled? Show of hands this morning. Okay. See, what, what God does in our lives, sometimes he moves the mountains. And sometimes he empowers us to scale those mountains. But it's always, it's always about his glory because he's in control of everything. And you can trust his loving, wise control of your life regardless of what goes down. That's where we're headed with our study. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's go before, once again, the throne of grace. And then we're going to dive into our text, and then we'll unpack these notes. Father God, 
How great is your love that you have lavished upon us that through the sacrifice of your son, we should be called your children. And there has never been or ever will be a parent on earth who wants joy for their child as much as you, our Father in heaven, wants for us, your children. We are amazed by your love for us. You have invited us to ask, seek, and knock, and you promised that we would receive, find, and the door would be open. Your word also teaches us that a, that a little faith, mustard seed faith in our big God, our, our great and good God, our transcendent and imminent God. And you said that big things would happen that otherwise wouldn't happen. So we pray this morning, make big things happen in and through our lives. May we see your glory unlike ever before as we study the very words from your mouth for your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at the text. We're going to walk through it completely. I'll just give some brief commentary. But uh, the first part of it is, is a bit depressing. It's, it's sad, but yet it ends on a high note. And there's some humor. If you, if you ever read the scripture and didn't think that scripture had some humor in it, this is... This is a text that does, not the first part, but as we work through this, it has some really interesting humor, and it has a lot to do with their lack of faith as they're praying for something that's happening. Let me begin reading chapter 12, verse 1 of Acts. And about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Anybody know what that means? Basically, he cut his head off. James was part of this inner circle of three. You got the 12 disciples, and then you got this, this inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, who had a particularly close relationship with Jesus. They were those that Jesus would take them off up into the mountain, for instance, the, man, the Mount of Transfiguration. And so they had experiences that the others didn't have. So this is one of the three. Early in ministry, he gets his head cut off. Verse 3, And when he saw that it pleased the Jews... He proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So, so he's wanting to make sure that nothing happens here. Back in chapter 5, we had the, the big jailbreak. The angel came in, uh, set the apostles free, and they were out preaching. And so he's, he's wanting to prevent that. So he's doing everything he can to keep Peter in prison. Now here's one of our key verses here for our study. Let's read it together in a loud verse 5. You ready? Let's read nice and loud. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Let's, let's read it one more time. I think you can do maybe a tad better than what you just did. How many were reading? I think there was three of us. Okay. okay let's see if we can get four or five of us to read this time. Okay. Here we go. One, two, three. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Good, good. Let me continue reading here, verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Let me just stop there for a minute. If you knew that you were going to be executed, would you be sleeping? Just lesser things have kept me awake than that, okay? <laughs> Quite lesser. I, I've, I've had my life threatened a couple times, but 
you know, most of the things that keep me awake are nothing like this, okay? He is sleeping. That is the peace of God. There's something supernatural happening as a result of their prayers. The peace that goes beyond our understanding. That we can be in the moment of chaos, even at death's door. <laughs> and we have the peace of God because we know our lives are in his hands. That's, that's phenomenal. This, this guy is just sleeping. It's awesome. I love it. And so Peter's sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. Now check this out. What do you think what Peter is thinking here? He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So he's like, Is this a dream? This feels like a dream. It was a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. So I was kind of trying to figure out what were these guards doing? Were they asleep or they just didn't see him? Or maybe God made them invisible or any number of things. But these guys just don't even see him, walk by him. And then notice this, the gate does what? It opened for them of its own accord. This is where... These, you know, those when you go to the supermarket and the doors automatically open up for you, this is where it originated, right here. <laughs> this is where they got the idea. Probably not, but uh, I mean, they just walk up and the gates open up. Ooh, ooh. Pretty interesting. And then, uh, so they, it opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Now, check this out, verse 11. This is really interesting. It just shows you that he's not operating on a real high level of faith. Probably some doubt going on. Verse 11, he says, When Peter came to himself, he said, I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel. Now he's finally sure. He's already gone through this whole process. Now, Oh, now I'm sure. How many have ever gone through anything before? And you're just not really sure. What are you up to? What's going on? And then when you get back and you look back on it, you go, Oh, I see your handprints all over this, God. I know you're in control. I know you're working now. But it took him to go through these events before he was able to look back on it and say, Okay, okay, got it. Got it. He says, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, this is, this is a crack up. This is so funny, their response. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy. She did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So Peter's standing at the gate knocking. She hears his voice, recognizes it. Ah, it's Peter. Runs back in, leaving Peter outside the door. That is a crack up. That's funny. Especially when you see how they respond to her. They said to her, so she goes back in, tells them, Peter's at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. A lot of faith here, huh? No. Not much. A lot of doubt. 
You're out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. Peter's in prison. But notice what it says here. Where am I here? Okay, I'll find it. Recognizing Peter? Okay. But she kept insisting that it was so. She kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. So how long did that take? It doesn't say. How long did he stand out there? (laughs) He's standing out there knocking. Hello? Get me out of here. They're, they're going to probably come after me. I mean, that's what he's probably thinking. You're going to get a hint of that because as he explains to them, he's kind of like, ah, this is frightening. They're going to come after me. They're going to try to find me. And so they say that it was his angel. And that's interesting. I thought about that for a moment. And the Bible certainly talks about that there are military angels, messenger angels, and ministry angels. And uh, in fact, if you want to study a little bit more about that, you don't want to certainly be preoccupied with angels, but uh, Psalm 91:11 talks about that God sends his angels and puts his angels in charge of us. And uh, also Matthew 18.10 talks about uh, kids. You don't want to hurt kids because their angel sees the face of God. And the Bible talks a lot about it. So it's really quite interesting when you understand in this spiritual realm what's going on in our lives and around our lives. And so that's what they're talking about here. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. <laughs> How long did he have to stand out there? Verse 17. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent. Shh, come on, keep the noise down. That's what he was kind of, kind of doing there, saying. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James. Well, this is obviously the other James. The James at the beginning of the book got his head cut off. But this is James. This is Jesus' brother. Isn't that interesting? Uh, his brothers didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. It says 15 chapter 1 Corinthians that Jesus came to his brother James. Hey, here I am. Remember me? I was crucified and I'm alive. And so he, he was pretty quickly converted after that. So it's interesting, the one who wrote the book, James, towards the end of our Bibles. And so tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, When day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. (laughs) That's an interesting way to put it. No little disturbance. In other words, there was a lot of stuff that hit the fan, okay, as it related to Herod. Because take a look at what happens. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. So they were executed. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, Herod was angry with people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, that's a cool name, Blastus. Name your kid Blastus. Okay, maybe not. Uh, The king's chamberlain, They asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of man! And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. By the way, if you want to study more on this... uh, He's a not, not a Christian uh, historian, but he's a secular historian, Josephus, the antiquities the Jewish, of the Jewish people. He wrote more extensively about this event 
that literally uh, Herod was vomiting up big worms and it was creating major problems, uh, obviously killed him. And, uh, and so it's really interesting to see what went down, to see it from a, the perspective of a secular, a non-Christian writer. And then we'll end right here, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. So pretty amazing, mountain-moving prayer. Let me give you 10 thoughts on this, and most of which is in our text. I'm not going to connect the dots for you. I, I will on a few, but you'll need to do it yourself. But also, in the fuller context of Scripture, you will see these principles as it relates to mountain-moving prayer. Here's the first one. Mountain-moving prayer is more about heart than art. It's more about heart than art. It's not the length or the eloquence, but it's the depth, it's the sincerity of our prayer that matters most to God. You'll notice in verse 5, key verse, I had you read, it says earnest prayer. Did you notice that it didn't actually give us their prayer, as it does in many other occasions in the Bible, it will actually give the prayers, but, but it just says in earnest prayer. Uh, the Greek word for earnest prayer is strained or stretched. It's the strongest word possible. It means intensity of thinking, feeling, and will. We know that uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, said, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So what he was, he was showing us that there's, that there's a way of doing prayer, coming to God, coming to church, that you can come to church in such a way that you're just kind of checking the box, that you're just kind of going through the motions. And so, uh, mountain-moving prayer is more about heart rather than art, how we articulate. It's really about our heart. So, my, I was thinking about this. I, I was really thinking, so, okay, uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? And when I come to church, is my heart into it? Is I, or am I just going through the motions? Am I just trying to appease somebody or, or whatever? I mean, uh, I was asking that as it relates to all of us. Where's my heart when it comes to prayer? When I pray, am I busy to get through my prayer list or is it truly an opportunity to connect with the living God? It's more about heart than art because that's what that word means, earnest prayer. I, I believe it's, it's more than being fully present because you can be fully present and still not have your heart in your prayer. How many know what I'm talking about when I say you can be here and not really be here? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Some of you are here and not really here. Because I can see that in your eyes. You're someplace else. So maybe not. But sometimes we so often live either in the past or in the future. It's hard for us to, to live in the moment. But the only place where we can connect with God is in the moment. And so we've got to be fully present. But I think it's more than being, being fully present. I think it's... I think it's giving God our full attention and affection because we know we have His. How would you respond to the fact that when you enter into prayer that you know you have His, the God of the galaxies, His undivided attention and amazing affection that He's established once and for all, for all eternity on the cross? Well, that makes me want to pay attention and to interact with him and have conversation. And I want to hear his voice. I want him to speak to me and I want to speak to him. And I want this mutual giving of uh, truth and love. Giving and receiving of truth and love. I, I believe it's more than just, you know, giving him our, 
our attention and affection, I believe that he becomes the treasure and our greatest pleasure. I think that's what it means, that earnest prayer. God, I live for you. To live is you. I believe it's, it's, he has, he has, he's your treasure. He's your pleasure. By the way, you need to know this, that anything you find your greatest pleasure in other than God is called idolatry. That the Christian life is about really, being a Christian is about he is your greatest pleasure. You find more pleasure in knowing him and walking with him and experiencing him. But you're not going to experience that if you don't feel that he's really paying attention or or pouring his affection into you and and you're experiencing that. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, he is and he does and he loves you and he can't take his eyes off of you. He's amazingly fond of you. He's pursuing you. You have his undivided attention. And more, more importantly, you have his affection, his love. Why wouldn't you want to open your heart to him? Why wouldn't you want to, when you come to church, you just don't go through the moment. Man, you, it's an opportunity to encounter the God of the galaxies, to pour your heart to him. And there's something that happens. I think it's also, too, and it's important to see that uh, I believe that all of this was part of God's divine design. Yes, even uh, James getting his head cut off. But because I b- believe it fired up the church a bit. I believe that they were always a praying church. But I, I think it lit a fire under them a little bit more as it related to their prayers. How many of you ever noticed that difficulty kind of puts you on your knees a little quicker when you're going through problems? I believe that death and suffering puts us face to face with eternity. It makes faith real and strips us of petty pursuits and trivial anxieties. I mean, you don't go through the motions. When you're going through major trials and problems, man, you take God seriously, more seriously than ever before. And I think that's what's happening. Don't wait until you go through trials to take God seriously. Take Him seriously now. Live with the current perspective of eternity. Any of our lives could be taken just like that. You know that. Just watch the news. That happens all the time. We're all living on the edge of eternity. But don't, don't wait for that. You can have an audience with the creator of the universe. Man, that stirs something up within me. I want that. I want to just enjoy him and walk with him and experience him in my life. And so that's, that's where it starts. Mountain moving prayer is more about heart than art. And, and, and in fact, you are in the presence of God. You know that you're beginning to have that connection. And you're in the presence of God when he becomes the governing reality. In other words, whatever you're stressing out over, it begins to shrink. It gets smaller and he begins to get bigger. He becomes the governing reality of your life. The rejection that you've experienced, his love exceeds that. That's when you know you're really connecting and you're doing this earnest prayer. That the things that you are tempted to pursue, you're you're not so tempted to pursue those things because your heart and the pleasure you're finding in Christ, that he, he becomes more attractive than the, than the sins that you tend to chase after. So he becomes a governing reality in your life. Here's the next one, number two. So Mount Moving Prayer is more about heart than art. It is unlimited in scope. Peter's in prison, they're elsewhere. Bible talks a lot about this. You and I can touch a world for God through prayer. My wife and I, when we pray together, when we pray in our staff meetings, when we're going to pray tonight at our prayer meeting, we pray for people in this church. By, by the way, make sure you put down your prayer request because there's a lot of prayers that, that, that will go for you in your behalf. And we pray diligently. We pray earnestly. And there's something about this unlimited scope of prayer. My wife and I, among the many uh, pastors and missionaries that we pray for and the people in our church, there's, we pray regularly for 
uh, our missionaries, one of our set of miss- missionaries, the McDonald's in Tala, Kenya. And that's what's amazing. They're on the other side of the world, and we're touching their lives. We're helping them and supporting them and ministering to them through prayer. So it's unlimited in scope. Number three, Mount Moving Prayer makes things happen. That's what we see happening here. Peter's released from jail. Let me read to you from a guy by the name of John Piper. Uh, Joe Bridgewater actually gave me this quote. It was on a video clip, and I wrote down this quote, and I thought it was just a phenomenal quote as it relates to things happen when we pray. This is what uh, Piper says. It is staggering that the sovereign God of the universe would ordain that our prayers cause things to happen that would not happen if we did not pray. And then he quotes uh, James 4, 2. We have not because we don't ask. That's from the Bible. We don't have because we don't ask. So what he's saying in that, he's saying that there's things that happen when we ask, and when we don't ask, we do without. There's another verse, too. It's uh, 5.16. It says, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful. In other words, he's saying, man, those that are righteous in Jesus Christ, there's something that happens when they talk to God, when they pray. And so he continues on. He says, this is why prayer is a staggeringly glorious privilege If you don't avail yourself of the privilege of of bringing to pass the events in the universe, in the universe that would not take place if you didn't pray, you are acting like a colossal fool. If you are offered the privilege of engaging with God in such a way that your request could bring into being things that would otherwise not come into being, and not to avail yourself of that privilege is folly. God's And then he goes, God is beckoning us into our share of running the universe. That's really profound. So mountain moving prayer is more about heart than art. It is unlimited scope, makes things happen. Number four is united prayer. United prayer. You'll notice verse five, earnest prayer by the church. They were praying for Peter. This was by the church. Verse 12, it said, Many were gathered together in praying. How many are familiar with the verses that found in Matthew 18 where it says, Where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst. You guys familiar with that? Show of hands. Yeah, that's interesting verses. I've always thought, I've meditated on those verses for a number of years. There's also, in that same context, it also says, If, if, if two of you agree as in touching any one thing, it, it talks about God will do something in response to that, Here, here's, here's the idea, is that there is a dynamic of God's presence and power in united prayer that can't be experienced alone. That when you come in here, or you go to your small group, and you pray with one another, or as we worship, as we study together, there's a dynamic of God's presence and power that you're going to experience here, you're not going to experience all alone. That's just the bottom, bottom line, that's a fact. That's the reason why it's always good to get as many people to pray for you as you can. There's, just, there's a dynamic of His presence and power. There's something that happens when people join together in prayer. Mountain moving prayer is united prayer. And then number five, mountain moving prayer invades the impossible. Did this seem like a pretty impossible situation that Peter was up against? Absolutely. James just got his head cut off and now Peter's next in line. Herod put him in prison with four squads of soldiers guarding him, intending to kill him. Verse 6, Peter is sleeping soundly. That's outrageous. Verse 7, Peter's chains fall off. Verse 11, Peter is rescued from certain death. So, I mean, this is, so prayer, mountain moving prayer is invading the impossible situation, whatever it might be. 
Too many times prayer is our last resort. But it's our greatest resource. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you really can't do more than pray until you've prayed. It's our greatest resource. May our greatest resource never be our last resort. It invades the impossible. I like what uh, a guy by the name of Paul Tripp, writer, theologian, teacher, he said this as it relates to the impossible situations. He says, the cross is evidence that in the hands of the Redeemer... Moments of apparent defeat become wonderful moments of grace and victory. In other words, what he's saying is that God can turn crucifixions into resurrections. Prayer is about invading those impossible situations in our lives. Here's the next one, number six. Mountain moving prayer isn't just something we do. It's someone we're with. It's someone we're with. It's so important that we always remember that when we're praying and not going through the list, as I've already said in the very first point here. Listen to this quote from uh, Tim Keller. It was a very convicting quote for me, and I want it to be just as convicting for you because I share, and I like to share uh, conviction. But this is what he said. He said, if the thing you adore is not God, then you'll only pray when that thing is in jeopardy or at stake. Were you convicted? And what drives you to your knees? Typically, it's something that you value oftentimes more than God. But if you valued God more than anything, you would be wanting to spend time with Him. And, and I'm not here to hammer you over that. It's just that you need to see and have a clear picture of who He is, how much He loves you. See, that's what draws you. You don't beat yourself up. I need to pray more. Don't go there. You don't work yourself that way. You see Him. You, be, you become captivated by His beauty and His glory. And I'll guarantee you, you're going to pray. You're going to want to. You're going to want to spend time with him. So let me read it one more time. If the thing you adore is not God, then you'll only pray when the thing is in jeopardy or at stake. So when does your prayer life increase in intensity? If it does because of the loss or something that's real important to you is being threatened, could it be that you adore that more than you adore God? That's that's all, all he's saying, and that's what I think we need to keep in mind. See, mountain moving prayer isn't just isn't just something we do, it is someone we're with. Prayer is not so much about getting things as it is about getting God. The difference between saying your prayers and praying, and there's a major difference between just saying your prayers, say your prayers, versus praying, it's the same difference uh, between talking at God and being with God. Do you talk at God or you just, you have a sense of His presence God, you are here with me right now. And it's an opportunity for me to interact with you and to know you. And God, what do you want to say to me? Because prayer is, a, prayer is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. He's wanting to talk to you. He's a, he's a talking God. He, he interacts with us. He loves us. He speaks to us. As I stated uh, in a few weeks, we'll talk more about how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But uh, that's important. Number seven on your notes. Not moving prayer, number seven, is an act of faith that holds on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. And you need to, need to think about that. I ripped that off from C.S. Lewis, okay? And uh, C.S. Lewis actually, uh, here's the quote from C.S. Lewis. It goes like this. He's actually talking about faith. Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted 
in spite of your changing moods. In other words, you know that the gospel is, is intellectually sound. That when you reason and you work through it intellectually, you know that Jesus, this man Jesus, actually came to this earth. It's historical, it's factual, it's evidential. And so you reason, you can reason to a point of probability where the scale, the scale is tilted in that direction. But there are times that your emotion, like the stock market, goes up and down. Wild roller coaster ride. And sometimes I don't sense his presence. And so what do you do? You go back to the reality of his word and the fact that you have reason to this point of probability that he told me, yes, I'm reminded of the cross. And the cross once and forever has declared to me that he loves me with an everlasting love and that he will never abandon me. He will never leave me. Jesus was abandoned on the cross so that I would never be abandoned. So that's what, that's what that is about. It is an act of faith that holds on to the things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. And this is how you know you're beginning to grow. This is how it happens in my life. How many remember the story? I actually put the story there in Mark 9, 14 through 29, where Jesus and his disciples are coming down off the mountain of transfiguration. The other disciples were trying to cast out a demon. They couldn't get it done. So Jesus has some interaction with this man whose son needs a demon cast out of him. And Jesus says, hey, if you have faith, this can be taken care of. And the man says, and so he's asking the man, do you have faith? And you remember how the man responded? He said, yes, I have faith. Help me in my unbelief. I have faith. I I believe. Help my unbelief. What? How many of you ever felt like that? I believe. Help me in my unbelief. That's what I'm talking about here. It's an act of faith. So, so mountain-moving prayer is an act of faith that holds on to the things your reason has once accepted in spite of changing moves. That's what I believe that these people are doing. They didn't have a bunch of faith. They didn't even believe that Peter was out there, that he had somehow been released. They were even denying that. Peter was confused about what was going on. So we're not talking about a lot of faith here. We're talking mustard seed faith. Maybe they had more than that. But that's what we have to do. And this is how I know that I'm beginning to grow. Growth happens when I learn to apply the love and the truth of God's Word to my heart, specific to where it is most restless. What am I stressing out over? I get in touch with what's going on. I got to be fully in the dot. You are here. Remember the dot when you walk into a mall? You are. I got to be fully there so that I can understand where God can meet me right where I am. And so I begin to take the cross and the truths of God's word and apply it specific to that. Otherwise, I'm going to run crazy and try to medicate all the anxiety that's going on in my life one way or another. So it is an act of faith that holds on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. That's why Tim Keller says thinking is the foundation of faith. And you'll see Jesus say, hey, think. Think about this, guys. Where's your faith? Think. Think through the process. I won't leave you. I won't abandon you. Why Why are you freaking out? So you have to go back and you think. You think. Wait a minute. Jesus died on the cross. Oh, yeah, there's that verse. And you begin to quote it. You begin to think about it. You begin to reflect on it. And you hang on to that. And it gets you through that storm because you know that feelings come and go. Number eight. Focus is not on the quality but the object of your faith. Focus is not on the quality but the object of your faith. That's why it tells us in Hebrews 10 too. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Now, let me give you a quick illustration. We'll move on to the next one. Imagine you, you're mountain climbing, you lose your footing and are falling off of a very high cliff with a branch sticking out of the cliff strong enough to hold your weight. 
If your mind is filled with intellectual certainty that the, that the branch is strong enough to hold you, but you don't reach out for it, you're doomed. If your mind is filled with doubts and uncertainty, but you reach out for it, you'll be saved. Why is that? Because it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak to weak faith in a strong branch. And I'm telling you, we have a strong branch in Jesus. So whatever small your faith is, reach out, trust him, cling to him. By the way, you want your faith to grow? You don't focus on the quality. You focus on him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I will guarantee you. You get to know Him. Grow in your relationship with Him. Ask God, open the eyes of my heart so I can see Jesus more clearly. And your faith will soar. Your trust will soar as a result of that. See, our problem with small faith is that we just need to get to know Jesus. Here's the next one on your notes. Number nine. Ask boldly, but surrenders completely. So, mountain-moving faith, mountain-moving prayer. Ask boldly, but surrenders completely to God's loving-wise control. I believe that God rescued Peter to show us that he was in control of James's execution. I believe that. Some of you might have trouble with that, but I believe that God is sovereign. I believe in the sovereignty of God. And I, I really believe that this is how I know also when I'm, I'm beginning to grow, is that you are growing in grace when he answers your prayer with a no. By the way, he will answer you. He loves you if you're his child. He will either answer it like this, no, I love you too much, no, not yet, or yes, I thought you'd never ask, or yes, and here's more. He'll answer one of those four. But you know you're growing in grace when he answers no, no, I love you too much, and you are peaceful and glad because you trust him. The Bible often talks about how we need to be not childish, but childlike. In fact, the more childlike, the less childish you'll be. <laughs> In fact, you'll be more mature. The more mature you are, the more childlike you'll be. And you know what that means? Trusting God. See, childishness is really based on demanding. Demanding. I want my way. Childlikeness is dependency. God, you know. You know what's best for me. My life is in your hands. And so, so this, this idea is what Jesus did in the garden. He prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. He's asking boldly, but he surrenders completely. And there's that nice balance that we need to maintain. God, this is what I'd like to see. I'm asking you, but not my will, but your will be done. And regardless of what goes down, God, whether you move the mountain or you give me the ability to scale the mountain, may your glory be seen in my life through my deep satisfaction in you, regardless of what goes down. See, that's what that prayer is about. Ask boldly, but surrenders completely to God's loving, wise control. I like what C.S. Lewis says. We're not doubting that God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Isn't that the truth? But he loves you, and you can trust his loving, wise control. Here's the last one, number 10. Not moving prayer knows that if you stay with Jesus, you win and if you oppose him, you lose. This is what I love about this chapter. The chapter begins with Herod killing James, verse 2. And it ends with God killing Herod. 
and the word of God multiplying. You can shake your fist at God, but ultimately God will determine how many times you're going to shake your fist at him. That's what he does with Herod. It's like, it's over. You're gone. It's pretty amazing. There's a verse, Luke 14, 11, 18, 14. It says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Did you know that we have a God who's on the side of the powerless? If you're powerless, you're in a good place because he's on your side. And it is insane to commit treason against the creative universe. You can't win without him and you can't lose with him. But let me leave you with a thought. This is what we're going to do. We're going to break up into small groups here this morning. I know it's going to freak some of you out, but it's going to be really a good thing. And so we're going to break up into smaller groups of about threes, fours, five, six, right where you're sitting. And this is what I want you to do is I want you to share your prayer needs with each other. And don't get into a lot of specifics. Just say something like this. I have a mountain. My mountain is physical. My mountain is spiritual. My mountain is relational. My mountain is financial. Whatever it is, just share it. Just do it really quick. And then you can have just one person in that group pray. And then pray for all the mountains that need to be moved or need to be scaled. And so we're just going to spend a little bit of time doing that. We'll spend about three or four minutes doing that. And I'm going to come up and then conclude with prayer. And then we're going to sing this big mountain song at the end. We're going to blow the lid off this place. And so I know this kind of, this is a little uncomfortable. Some of you as families maybe haven't prayed ever. This would be a great time for you to huddle up and to pray and to do that. But before you do that, real quick, everybody look up here. Here's my last thought with you. If you had any idea, if you had any idea what the God of the galaxies thinks about you, feels about you, wants to do in and through your life, you would be running to him with joyful prayer with you and your family consistently. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants to do some powerful things in our lives. So let's, let's huddle up. Let's pray for a few moments and then we'll wrap things up real quick. Do it. So let me pray. God, thank you so much that you hear us, that you love us and that our, our mustard seed faith can move mountains as we put our faith in you because you're a great God. You're a good God. We celebrate that this morning in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us? Make this song your prayer. God bless you.